X-rated movies, <laughs> ah! or X-rated movies. Ah! I am one of your hosts, Ryan Whedon. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Fisher. <laughs> ah! I was trying to be a troll. <laughs> Did it come across? Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I got it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no, that, that was good troll work. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, not in the not in the gay sense of uh, a gross old man hitting on a, a young Twinkie boy. Is that a thing? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I've never heard. You never heard the term troll before. Well, only in terms of like what Donald Trump does to people. Like, huh. oh yeah, it's like a that's the newest it's like uh, a gay thing. That's all it's been around. But well, I meant like the the term is like the newest addition to the the uh, gay euphemism menagerie. It's like <laughs> you know bears, wolves otters and now we're getting trolls in there well, i don't think anybody's like embracing troll <laughs> as like <laughs> a their, moniker uh, <laughs> their flags like pale green do they get a uh, real tall neon colored hair yep. and, uh, <laughs> and they get a jewel in their belly <laughs> so all right we're in schlocktoberfest now we're, ah! <laughs> we're we're fully in we're ensconced in it oh uh, there's a pumpkin spice latte we're not basic bitches here, Ryan. <laughs> On the ground. Because <laughs> you knocked it out of someone's hand. Yeah, that I hated. <laughs> but no, you know, I was thinking, we were talking about this last week with Christine and how I was like, sometimes it's hard for me to gauge just how scary a movie is because I'm not really that scared yeah. by movies just in general. Yeah. But it got me thinking, I was like, what are some movies that really do scare me? Uh-huh. And there are a couple. Uh, one... Uh, that we've covered on the podcast is The Descent. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Scary movie. But it, it's not really the monsters that scare me as it is. The the monsters are scary and like they're suspenseful, but sort of leading up the to the monsters. The claustrophobia, like the the sound mixing in that and like the way that it's shot where there's just like this one little hole of light in this big black void mm. of darkness and it, like you're just right in the headspace of that person who's like trying to crawl through this tiny, tiny little crevice in in the middle of nothing. I hate it. <laughs> so that always sort of shakes me up a little bit. But that's sort of intermittent scary. Like there are scenes that are scary, and then there's relief. Yeah. And I was thinking, like when I watched it the first time, I didn't realize like how scared I was until the movie was over. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah. Once it gets going, there's sort of a level of tension in there that builds so gradually and sustains itself. And then it's like, you know, you got, you know, the weird guy in a mask that's like chasing people down. That's weird. And then like you get the other weird dude in there that's like a crazy mad scientist type. Yeah. And then you're at the dinner scene and grandpa's there. And then you're trying to escape. And it's like by the time it's done, you didn't realize that there was like this sustained level yeah. of tension yeah. for like 40 minutes. A lot of screaming during that time, as I remember. Lots of screaming. Oof. Yeah. You know what always scares me in movies? And it's like, it doesn't even have to be a done well. <laughs> is like people in enclosed spaces that's like slowly filling up with water. So like oh. the abyss is a, a good example of that. But like any submarine movie when like, 
some section of the sub is starting to fill up with water and they have to close it off. Mm-hmm. I'm just always like, oh, fuck, I hate this. <laughs> so I'm very uncomfortable. So like in Gravity, when Sandra Bullock's like running out of air. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a bad example because she finally like lands on Earth and then she's underwater. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, God damn it, movie. <laughs> Cut Sandy, be a break. So what is like one of the scariest movies to you? Like what is something like a movie <clears throat> that really will like make you sleep with the lights on? Yeah. I mean, The Descent is definitely the big one. That's probably the biggest one. Um, other than that, I mean, I've been doing them all on the podcast. Oh, the pact freaked me out. <laughs> not while watching it, not while watching it. It wasn't until I was laying in bed at night thinking okay. about it and like, what if somebody is living in my house? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very not cool about so that. So it wasn't the pact, but it was what the pact represented. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Let's see. What else? I mean, when I was a kid, everything scared me. Oh, Any, really? Anything even vaguely scary was a scary movie to me. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. It took uh, until, well, we'll get into it, but today's movie was really one of the first scary movies that I saw that I remember liking and being like oh. intrigued by. Oh, interesting. Rather than scared of. Okay. Yeah. I can't do violence. So like Hellraiser like kind of scared me, but for different reasons. Oh, yeah. Like the idea of like hooks in your skin. That was like too much for me as a kid. Because like oddly enough, they've played like Hellraiser on television, albeit like very edited i'm yeah, sure it must have been but like the concept of like hooks going into your skin and like peeling back your flesh like that yeah. scared the hell out yeah. of me as a kid you know now that i think about it uh one movie that still kind of freaks me out and may and i well i haven't watched it in a long time but i remember it really freaking me out was uh event horizon oh yeah and it's just that like snippet of the like hell universe that they see mm-hmm. and like i go back and i've watched just that part of it like on youtube clips and stuff and it still is very unsettling mm-hmm. all the stuff that ha- that they see and i don't know exactly what it is that they're doing that style of strobe light and like fast cuts and scary noises like i've seen before yeah and for some reason that specific one is really scary. I remember I put off watching Event Horizon for a long time because it came out when I was like, I want to say in like sixth or seventh grade, seventh uh-huh. grade probably. Uh-huh. And rumors running around that like two of my peers went to go see it. Like they snuck in because it was like R rated and that they peed themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and so like the rumor went around school it was like, oh, this is really scary. It's like, so scary. You'll pee yourself. Yeah. Corey and Nathan peed themselves. <laughs> and then I remember I rented it from the local Blockbuster. And I watched it was like like 2 p.m. on like a sunny. Oh, no, I watched it during the day, too. Yeah, because I was like, oh, my God, it's supposed to be so scary. I can't watch this at night. I remember thinking like it was pretty tense and like there was some creepy stuff. But uh, I was like, I wouldn't pee myself. And then, of course, I see like <laughs> the descent like five or six years later or whatever it is. And like I'm terrified in the theater. <laughs> and you peed yourself. And I just shat the theater seats. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel about today's movie? Did you get scared? Nah. No? You're not scared of Candyman? I watch a lot of horror movies, and it's not because I get scared of them. It's because I just like the aesthetic. For whatever reason, like, I can see 
the metaphors for something else really clearly in horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there's a few points in this that kind of made me feel like an idiot because <laughs> like, <laughs> they were so obvious and I didn't get them until like I watched the sequels this weekend. Oh. But we'll get to that uh, a little bit later. I mean, Candyman is good. Like, I don't, I don't want to like badmouth your pick right off the bat or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But like, was there any point where I was like clutching my pearls or like you know pinching my peen so I didn't wet myself? Mm, probably not. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you? Well, I don't know if it's a, if scared is the proper emotion that I felt, mm-hmm. but I definitely felt the intensity of certain scenes like when she wakes up from that first blackout and we just hear uh, Vanessa Williams screaming about her missing baby mm. and she's just covered in blood and the the acting the voice acting from Vanessa Williams is very good and it's just like the intensity of that scene I love all that okay and it makes me like I feel that sadness that she's experiencing and I'm scared in a way because I don't know. I remember like not knowing what is going on, like what's happening here. Like you're in uh, Virginia Madsen or Helen's place at that point. Like I don't know. It kind of freaked me out. Yeah, and in that specific scene, you're also not quite sure. Is like, is this a hallucination? Is this a fantasy? Is this a dream sequence? It's yeah. a little ambiguous at first because like she passed out and she's waking up so it very well could be a nightmare yeah and yeah you're just you're really not certain in like the image of like the dog like the oh, yeah, uh, the beheaded the dog, dog ha- yeah is really kind of otherworldly yeah. so you remember with the heavenly creatures where I was like I don't ever remember the lesbianism that much <laughs> I did not remember how gory this movie it's a violent, is violent gory movie yeah there's a lot of blood in this movie oh yeah and i just flat out forgotten that and i think it's all not all, all i won't say all mostly really justified like i loved and i don't remember liking this when i was younger but like the jacket that Candyman wears is like it's got faux fur on the um cuffs and it's like all like nasty and bloody because of the hook that's jammed in there and like oh that looks really good yeah yeah no that that was a nice touch and oddly enough like uh, so i watched the sequels this weekend that element of it doesn't make it to the sequels. Like in, by the time they the get hook? to the third one, the hook does. But like he's wearing the same jacket, but like the faux fur around like the wrist is all clean. Yeah, that's stupid. And yeah, I was like, <laughs> that's really uninspired. <laughs> They're not even trying, then. Yeah. So like that's a good effect because like yeah, it would like seep into the fabric that he's wearing. Yeah, and get all nasty because they uh, said they like put the hook into the like they jammed stub. it into yeah. a stub. Mm. Yeah. I, I think I like the first half the best. Okay. When it's her kind of feeling it out. Because I, th- I think that's when it's the most tonally sound. Okay. Once Candyman actually enters, I kind of feel like it introduces some other themes. Like he, like when Candyman like picks up Helen and he's talking about how the pain will be exquisite. I'm like, well, now we're just into Clive Barker stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. This yeah pain is ecstasy sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, and I was like, I feel like this is off topic from like the folklore as religion stuff that we've been dealing with earlier. Sure. But she's part of the legend. She is. She becomes part of the legend. Well, I mean the way it kind of portrays it is like, she was always part of the legend and this is right. the destiny being fulfilled. Right, right. 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 Oh, but when Candyman comes in, can we just real fast? I'm yeah. still, still in that same like, part of the movie when Candyman comes in 
the sound design on his voice oh, is yeah. really chilling. Helen. I listened on headphones last night and it was like, it just sounds like he's right behind you. Mm. And I can't imagine watching this in the theater, how different it would sound. Cause it's just her walking through a parking garage, looking at slides. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you just hear. Helen. And it sounds like he's literally like, in your ear. It's really good. I also like it because Tony Todd's, he's a good looking guy mm-hmm. and he, he's like being a little seductive about it. Yeah. Even though he's sort of dressed like a pimp, which is another point that we have to like remind <laughs> oh, me of that God. later. I'm I'm really worried about talking about the racism oh. stuff here. So we'll get to it, but I'm just not looking forward to it. But it's like, he's just got those broad shoulders and he's tall and you can tell that he's muscular even under that bulky coat. So it's like when he's introduced, like, He's kind of sexy. Yeah. He, he starts talking about, like, be my victim. Be my victim. It has that, like, element of, like, consent to being my victim yeah. element to it, which is a little sexy, too. So I, I feel like Candyman being seductive is, like, an important part of the allure. Yeah. As the story goes, he was a slave's son who uh, was a talented artist he was commissioned to uh, paint some white dude's daughter, mm-hmm. and they ended up falling in love, uh, or at least he got her pregnant, and uh, then he got lynched because of it. I'm glad so. that you made the distinction between falling in love and getting pregnant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he sort of represents the revenge of that death. Yeah. So it's like, you know, he he, he dies in, because I think it is supposed to be that he was in love with this rich man's daughter mm-hmm. and uh, his pain was, you know, sort of a, a Japanese ring style where it's like when you die in that much like anger that it like resonates outside of death. Yeah. But while I was watching this, I was like, why do they call him candy man? Like I know that she finds like <laughs> razor blades in the candy wrappers in that one scene, but I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Candy man. So I watched the sequels. Oh, they spell this out. Well, the second one kind of did. The second one's totally uninspired, but watchable. It's, they actually like have like a scene of like his origins. Oh, okay. Cause they cover him with honeycombs. Right. And he, he, the reason he died was he was stung to death. Right. All the bees sting him to death. Bees are on the what now? Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say beads? Beads. <laughs> bees. Beads. <laughs> Ryan's not on board. <laughs> uh, but, like, as they're covering them with honey, someone, like, licks the honey off their hand, and they're like, oh, sweet like candy. Oh. So, like, as the bees start coming, they're calling him Candy Man because he's covered in this honey. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, okay. That, sure. It's not the tightest <laughs> story Seems ever. Seems a little but... retcon, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, so she goes into that like really shady looking bathroom and it it has sweets for the sweet and shit smeared on the walls. It was a lot of shit, I was thinking. And then I was like, oh, sweets, candy, duh. (laughs) Like it didn't (laughs) dawn on me until like the, the, until I like found out like why they call him Candyman. Oh, and then sweets for the sweet, sweets are candy. Mm -hmm. I'm like, bees make honey, honey is sweet. (laughs) I'm like, now it's all coming together. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great set design, though. Like, whoever was, like, the production designer on, like, the graffiti oh. at Cabrini Green mm-hmm. or, like, in that, like, public restroom area. Yeah. Because that shit looked thick. Oh, my God. I, like I said before, a lot of shit. It takes a lot of shit to write sweets for the sweet, 
that big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, she opens the toilet and it's full of bees. Beads? Bees. Beads. <laughs> All right. We'll see who gets the most honey. <laughs> uh, okay. So first time I saw this, it was like 13 or so. Okay. Um, oh, and- you saw it a lot younger than i did yeah i watched it pretty much when it first i might it might have either been on pay-per-view or like had just come out on vhs but like for some reason that was like just the right time for me because mm. i really wanted to watch it. i watched it all alone by myself at home but i wasn't scared i was like i said i was intrigued because i'd never really seen anything like this and it was also like this is what adults like to watch is what i was thinking i mm. think but the opening shot with the philip class score and like it's just like this uh, top-down camera angle looking at the city just like that's how it starts off I just remember being like wow from frame one being like what is this yeah it gives it sort of this sheen of like professional almost art house movie yeah because if you watch any Friday the 13th movie it's basically just the score with like credits going across like a black background yeah and so the idea that this has like the opening credits with like the names coming from different directions and Philip Glass's score is radically different from most horror movie soundtracks, especially yeah. of the time. Yeah. Cause it creates a more haunting feel yeah. rather than like, you know, your, your dissonant strings in your average horror movie. Yeah. Like the Philip Glass score is heavy on organ. It's heavy on the wordless chorus mm-hmm. and piano solo piano yeah i noticed this time while watching it like the uh voices and organ uh move at different times okay so this almost like it creates this sort of disjointedness in the score it's like it makes it feel unsatisfying in a way like it's mm. never resolved like because they're just never meeting at the same time okay um, okay which is a subtle way to make you feel uncomfortable with what you're listening to it's really really well done i love it i mean yeah. i immediately went and like figured out that piano part yeah there's the combination of sort of this overhead shot of a freeway the credits you know, the, with the names coming in from different directions. And then you have a score that's really unlike other slasher film scores. Yeah, frame one, you already know that you're in for something different than your average slasher movie. Yeah, yeah. And it also makes it feel like adult and like grown up. It does. You know, yeah. like, this is a horror movie for adults. And uh, I remember feeling intrigued by that as a, as a youngster well because uh all right virginia madsen helen she's what a grad student phd grad student yeah at university of illinois like that has a different feel to it than your average slasher movie that's mm-hmm. like teen centric this is someone who's like career focused and like what leads them into this is their passion for their future job right like that's an adult concept yeah Especially if it's, like, academia. Yeah. You know? Like, what teenager's like, ooh. Yeah. (laughs) I'm into that. So I noticed with this, because one of the things I've always liked about Hellraiser, another Clive Barker joint, is that with the Cenobites, with Pinhead, you have to summon them. They're not a villain in a classic sense that they hunt you down. You do something that brings them to you. And the same is true for Candyman. Like... 
with Pinhead, you have to like open the puzzle box, and like you you don't have the puzzle box unless you've been looking for the puzzle box, and you're not looking for the puzzle box unless you want some like deep hardcore S and M stuff, right? <laughs> and with Candyman, he doesn't come for you unless you look in the mirror and say his name five times, right? Yeah. So I do like the theme that it's like their desire for like either knowledge or experience supersedes their sense of self-preservation they want to know this so badly that they're they put themselves in danger or disregard warnings against yeah well that makes me wonder so was he haunting people at cabrini green or were they summoning him well i think they must be summoning him okay i mean that's the only way that he comes although the movie's not really it doesn't adhere to the rules that it sets out because it's yeah. like she summons Candyman and then Candyman kills other people. Right. And like the rule is supposed to be that like, you know, you summon Candyman and then he kills you. Right. You're yeah. the la- or he's the last thing you see. Yeah. Because we have that opening scene of like sort of like the the pastiche a little bit of regular horror movie of like sure ted raimi sam raimi's uh, uh brother oh, okay and he's like the greaser leather <laughs> jacket dude and he's in the bathroom with that girl and they they do the thing and yeah. she gets killed and blah, blah 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 i thought it was interesting that it was uh you know they were interviewing all these white people about Candyman, and then it's not until she like the like uh, janitor woman comes in and sees that she's working on Candyman. She's like, "Oh, you want to hear about Candyman?" Yeah. So Ruthie called nine one one, and she said, "There's somebody coming through the walls," and they didn't believe her. They thought the lady was crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So she called nine one one again, and they still didn't believe her. And when they finally got there, she was dead. And it's like that's where the real horror comes in, because otherwise it's just like. Oh, it's some silly teen story because, like, it even like when they cut to Bernadette interviewing the dude, he's sort of like, I don't know, he gets the details wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, in that scene, she starts smoking in the classroom. It's like, <laughs> not cool, Helen. Different times, I guess. But um, yeah. So it's like it's not. I don't know. Candyman isn't scary when it's white people talking about him, but like as soon as the black ladies come in, they're like shook. It's true. Yeah, it is. I read it in the papers. Candyman killed her. Yeah, but uh, I don't know nothing about that. I keep going back to Vanessa Williams. Vanessa Williams is really great. And it's not the Vanessa Williams you're thinking of. She's different. There's a different actress. It's not the save the best for last. It's not save best for last, Vanessa Williams. It's the one from Melrose Place. So, <laughs> and she's actually done a lot of other she, stuff. She doesn't claim that sometimes the... the Earth goes around the moon. Yeah, as far as I know, she's not one of those people. The snow falling in June, etc. <laughs> but she, I really liked her performance this time around. Like when Helen and Bernadette are investigating that woman's apartment with mm-hmm. the like, you know, she found out that she could like push out the medicine chest and you could just like crawl into your neighbor's apartment, which terrifying. Terrifying, um, yes. Some, somebody died that way. Lovely apartment though. Yeah, not bad. She, they're like investigating that they go to Cabrini Green and then like when she comes out the idea to me that she has to leave her child alone because she's a single mother to go investigate something she finds suspicious is like a whole new level of sadness why she got that big dog yeah but I mean I was kind of like brushing off Candyman too until she started talking about Candyman okay and it's like 
yeah, I'm worried about my kid growing up to be a gangster, but I'm more afraid of Candyman. I'm scared. Scared for my child. That he never gonna catch him. Who? Candyman. All the things she has to deal with. And on top of that, there's like <laughs> some supernatural thing that you have to be afraid of. Like, yeah. She seems most afraid of Candyman, not the real life problems that she's got to deal with. Yeah. So uh, I asked the piece of Pie Pod boys and <laughs> yeah, James was like, oh, that was from my old work. <laughs> uh, but I thought that Cabrini Green was somewhere on the south side of Chicago and it's not. They pointed it out, I don't remember where now, but it's actually like on the north side, but it was like government housing or public housing that was like used as a scapegoat that was like, oh, the moment that you give poor people housing, it's just get it gets run over with crime. Right. And I guess this movie did not help that reputation. Yeah. Just on it real quick, I read that there was a Saturday Night Live sketch about a single mother and her name was Cabrini Green Harlem Watts Jackson. <laughs> I'm a Libra. My favorite sport is running. I'm in the 10th grade. I'm 17 years old and I have two children. Wow. So, you know, it's got a rep. But I guess, like, the, the, the at least the reputation that, like, this specific building, it might have just been because it was, like, uh, an area of an otherwise white neighborhood mm-hmm. <laughs> was filled with black people. And so they had the inclination that it was. Uh, I don't, they sent us some Crime stuff on it. But, ridden. Uh, yeah, they sent us some stuff on it, but I, I didn't get a chance to like look at the, the videos or anything that they sent. Yeah, I thought this took place in the south side of Chicago because the south side of Chicago, like literally, they when people use that phrase, mm-hmm. they mean like once you are at the halfway point onto the south end of Chicago, like it's a different neighborhood and it's just the same size as the north side. But, like, white people aren't allowed to go there. When when I was in Chicago, they're like, oh, yeah, if you get, like, below this point on the subway, take off your glasses because you'll look like a victim. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, they're not kidding about it. Yeah. But the vibes that I get, because they get hassled the moment they get to Cabrini Green. Yeah. And there's not necessarily violence immediately towards them, but they're definitely getting hassled by... The residents right. there and it's not until they uh think that, that the um, residents think that they're cops that they're kind of left alone yeah hands up people coming out the back door police it's okay they think we're cops they're not gonna follow us which i don't know that's problematic on its on many levels <laughs> well like they're they're like exploring this place and it's like the unit that they go into which is gross. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's dirty and it's disgusting. But, like, the way that they sort of portray it is, like, hell is, like, the inner depths of poverty. Mm-hmm. It's, like, you go through these, like, corridors and these cavernous wastelands of, like, institutionalized poverty. And, like, that's what real hell is. Or at least that's, like, the message that I got from sure the camera work there. And that Candyman is like, yeah, he's like a demon or a monster or a ghost or whatever you want to describe him as. But it's like he also represents just like institutionalized like racism and poverty and like yeah. generational racism. Yeah. 
because you know it's big in this black community like everybody knows about him everybody's afraid of him but like Candyman wants this story to keep going right that's where he is evil right he kind of has that Freddy Krueger thing of like he derives his power from people being afraid of him yeah your disbelief destroyed the faith of my congregation without them I am nothing so this is this part where they go into this woman's apartment this is not in Clive Barker's original story this is something the director added uh, when he placed the uh, setting at Cabrini Green, or mm-hmm. placed the setting in Chicago, mm-hmm. um, there was a woman who died at Cabrini Green because someone snuck in through her medicine cabinet. Mm. Like, that's a real thing that happened. So her name is was Ruthie Mae McCoy. And she does, like, the, it happened sort of like they say in the movie. Like, she called the cops and was like, someone's crawled in and they're they're coming to get me. And the cops just ignored her or like really the cops that they sent out came knocked on the door didn't hear an answer and when they didn't they just left her alone and it took two days to discover like oh she'd just been rotting there after she got shot so it's like that's fucked up but like that fear of disbelief when you're like being victimized is a theme in this movie because it happens to Helen. What year did this take place? Did it, did it say the murder? Yeah, because uh, in my mind, I'm just uh, I'm hearing that Public Enemy song nine one one is a joke. I dialed nine one one a long time ago. Don't you see how late they reacting? They only come and they come when they wanna. So get the more truck and then bomb the corner. They don't care because they stay paid anyway. They treat you like an ace that can't be betrayed. I know you stumble with no use people. If your life is on the line, then you're dead today. Yeah, and that's, I mean, see, this is where I was like, oh, fuck. This is where we're going to just sound like privileged white, white people. people. But, like, we are. We are. And, uh, like, that fear is is very scary to me. But it's, like, there's people who are living with that as a re- just as a reality. Yeah. Like or that calling the police will be useless. You know, useless. Yeah, like it reminded me of Get Out a lot too, like the ending in that movie when the cops come it's not a good thing kind of mm. thing. Mm-mm-mm. So like people don't call the cops maybe in this movie because they know that like them showing up isn't actually going to be good for them. Yeah. In 93 <laughs> this was happening. <laughs> Ugh. So I don't know. I don't feel super confident talking on this subject, but like these fears that I'm seeing in this movie for some people, I believe it's a reality. Yeah. Well, you were, uh, when I mentioned earlier that Candyman is sort of dressed like a pimp and you're like, Ooh, <laughs> but I was like, well, a pimp is also like a, a person who exploits other people sure. for their own means. Like, yeah, th- th- that's also uh, like it's a racial stereotype because he's like fine. He's a good-looking black man in a you know faux fur Fancy coat, shit. and it, doesn't he have like a, a walking stick or a cane or something? Or no, it's, no, it's, it's the hook. It's just the hook. Um, he doesn't have like a big hat with a feather in it or anything, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know this that's it's not the, far off. Pimp is also yeah uh, uh, someone who exploits people without any means of recourse and and things like that. So. I, I don't feel like that's too far removed that, like, this is someone who's exploiting this community. Yeah, not at all. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of racial stuff in here that, like, I'm, we're not 
qualified to talk about. <laughs> but uh, but let's talk about the women stuff. Huh? <laughs> I'm ready for that. <laughs> well, the movie does pass the Bechtel test pretty quickly, oh. unless. Because they're talking about Candyman. Yeah, I thought about this a lot too. <laughs> man is in the name, but we don't know he's the real man yet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> technically they're talking about like the mythology and the mythos around it. But you know, then I started thinking, well, is it important that he's Candyman? Why isn't he Candy Person? <laughs> <laughs> well, is it important that Candyman is indeed a man? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a horrible statement on gender inequity that a woman can't be a, a woman of color can't be a serial killer in a mainstream horror movie yeah fair enough Preach. i'm putting the system on trial <laughs> oh yeah can you imagine uh viola davis as Candyman woman i i i haven't watched it yet but isn't she in a how to get away with murder oh, and doesn't yeah. she like commit murder in that to get her clients <laughs> off I, I mean, I haven't watched it, but, you know, Shonda Rhimes, like, her heroines are always doing shady shit to come out on top. Sounds about right. Yeah. All right, Shonda Rhimes, calling you out by name. Jordan Peele's got his thing going on. I want to see you do the same thing for horror with women of color that he's been doing for, for well, I don't know, us kind of, that did star a woman. Yeah. All right, I take it all back, Shonda Rhimes, you're off the hook for now. Because Jordan Peele's doing your job. <laughs> By the way, I didn't know that Jordan Peele was uh, producing uh, oh, a remake fuck, of this yeah. when I picked this movie. Yeah, I was I was just doing research, you know, or I I think I put in Candyman to see if it was streaming. But like, uh, it just yeah, it came up that Jordan Peele's doing. It. I'm like, oh, what a great idea. Yeah, like, oh, it's it seems like cling it should have happened you know. yeah a demon born out of like institutionalized poverty that or, or racism that haunts racially poverty stricken areas of major metropolitan areas like that all just makes Ugh, sense to me. i think it's gonna be great i'm excited for it um no i think he'll do good things and tony todd's gonna be in it apparently yes i mean tony todd it, like He's so good in this. He, yeah, he's real good in this. He's so creepy, but also sexy. He plays, just for my fellow uh, nerds out there, he plays Worf's brother in both uh, Next Generation and Star Trek Deep Space Does Nine. Does he really? So, yeah. That's fun. Yeah, he's Kern. I shall try some of your burned, replicated bird meat. He's also like the person with the, the wisdom and bad news in the uh, Final Destination movies. Death. doesn't like to be cheated i like tony todd i think he's a pretty good actor actually yeah no i i think he is too it's like he's also just blessed with like that really great voice uh, and he's just got because he's like sorry it sounds like i have a crush on tony todd but he's like he's just got like chiseled good looks it's okay to have a crush on tony todd i like it when villains have that mix of like both being threatening and intimidating, but also being alluring. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's got that just right. He'd make out with uh, that mouthful of bees. You're like, bring on the bees. <laughs> it says bee, and there's a picture of a bee on it. Personally, like, okay, so there there are two, I know that they're not both insects, but they're both bugs in, in my view. Spiders and bees have always scared me. Uh-huh. But as I got older, I learned to control myself about spiders. Uh-huh. It's like if I see one crawling on me, obviously I'm not crazy about it. Yeah. But like I can look at it and be like, just breathe, calm yourself, get it off you, do whatever you have to do. With a bee, 
I cannot like reserve myself. <laughs> if a beat goes near my ear and I hear that buzz, I freak the fuck out. There's no just like, just be cool. It's both arms up, even though I only hear it in like one ear. It's get it away from me. Now flying insects, I'm not I'm not big on anyway, but like yeah, bees. Yeah, I guess if spiders flew, that'd oh, be a different God. story. Oh, God. Why would you even present that idea? Apparently, oh, this is a fun fact. I watched the special featurette uh, on the DVD, and oh. uh, Virginia Madsen, those are real bees. There yeah. was a guy there with, like, bees, um, and he just, she said that she had to, like, learn to not be afraid of them. <laughs> they, like, fall on you, and that's the only moment where you go, bees, bees. Then they start to spread out and they start to move around and that part's okay because they feel like little tiny q-tips all over your skin well because i heard that these are a specific age of bees where right. they are old enough to look like regular bees but don't have stingers yet yeah their stingers aren't like fully developed that being said there was like 148 bee stings on this movie mm-hmm. ah! Himself somehow. Tony Todd negotiated in his contract that every time he got stung by a bee, he'd get an extra thousand dollars. He oh. was stung twenty-three times. Oh, <laughs> that's a good clause to put in your contract. Yeah, if you know you're gonna be like, have bees in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would negotiate that too. Good on him. Yeah, job, Tony. I got a lot of respect for Tony Todd. Uh, also, yeah, this is a brave choice for a role. You know, you're playing. A black man who wants to continue uh, institutionalized racism as like a way to be scary. Yeah. Like, mm, that's not a great look. But he went on to keep working. Yeah. So good on him. So maybe this is just me, but did Virginia Madsen look like she was putting on her best Gillian Anderson? Oh, sh- for the longest time, I thought it was Gillian Anderson. Oh, this okay. <laughs> It took, uh, I don't know when I figured out it was Virginia Madsen. It might have been when we watched 1985 last year. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, she, she just, looks She like, was looking full on Scully. And this is like when X-Files was just oh, taken yeah. off. So yeah, it's like, 93. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure lots of people make that mistake. There's a scene like after she gets arrested. <gasps> oh, yeah. And she has to, like, undress to, like, get, like, hosed down or whatever. I really, like, felt the intrusion of that. Like, I was uncomfortable for her a lot. Lift up your arms. (laughs) Lift your left breast. Your right. (laughs) Remove your underwear. Can I please speak with Detective Lento? Remove your underwear. Virginia Madsen does show her breasts in this, but it's not actually really in that scene. It's like when she's taking a bath later. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I did like it because it's like she looks vulnerable and like she's having to get, like, get more undressed. And you can tell that they must have just like thrown a bunch of fake blood at her while she was just wearing a bra and panties because when she takes her bra off like it's clean underneath yeah and i don't know like that whole scene i was like oh i just like the the power imbalance here and the vulnerability like i'm feeling Mm -hmm. all of this 
Well, and it's interesting that like it, it, that's when like the whole movie kind of shifts, and it's like now she's feeling all these like institutionalized things that black people probably feel all the time. Oh, yeah. But we're sympathizing with her because she's our main character, and also probably because she's white a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you said you like the first half. I actually kind of like the last half a little more this viewing because okay. that's when like all these things that she's been talking about and like learning about from an academic level all of a sudden are happening to her like they the, they don't believe her okay there's like that scene you know when tony todd comes down on her and is like floating on her and she's like murderer he's here he's here and then they show her the tape and he's not mm-hmm. that like there's that like feeling of kind of going crazy so there's a little bit of rosemary's baby going on okay. like yeah there's all those things that start just like piling up on to helen and like, I mean, even you can even go as small as like, you know, she had a fear that her husband was cheating on her and then she f- discovers that that was real. So did she have that fear before? I got that impression. That's why she was cooking him that big meal and stuff. Because I kind of read that he didn't care because there was just that, that scene where I was like, he's not caring enough about what she's just gone through. Like he seems nonplussed about it. Yeah. And then it like comes out after she's institutionalized. They say that she was institutionalized for a while. Over a month, yeah. But it's like she, he's already got someone else living with him. Xander Berkeley is is the, the shitty husband. It's a regular uh, hello again moment. Uh, yeah, I, I have that note. <laughs> I was trying to work in. I was like, well, you know, he just thought that she was dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yours is better. Xander Berkeley typecast as the shitty husband because he also plays a shitty husband in uh, Todd Haynes's movie Safe. Oh, he's the husband in that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think. Fact check me on that one. <laughs> he's got that face. He looks like a Weasley little shit. Yeah, he looks like the person that, like you'd like fall in love with before you really played the field enough, mm-hmm. and now you're stuck with and you're both miserable. Um, but Virginia Madsen like tries to make it work, but there was just one scene where I was like, he does not give enough of a fuck about like. A, what she's been through, but, like, also, like, oh, it was after she was uh, uh, assaulted in the bathroom. So, like, she literally, like, gets the shit kicked out of her, has to, like, pick the perp out of a lineup, and then, like, she's at home cooking this big dinner. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you should be in bed. Oh, but you made me dinner, so I'll just (laughs) eat it. And I was like, he doesn't care enough that, like, his wife was just assaulted in, like, a public restroom with a I know. (laughs) By multiple men. See, okay, I thought about this. Because she says, like, you're not being smart here. I'm a university. People, all my colleagues know where I am. Yeah. They, when she says that line, I think she's worried about getting raped or killed or both. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's right. Yeah, everyone's going to know where she is, blah, blah, blah. So that's why they just assault her. Because then I feel like everyone will be like, well, you really shouldn't have been there anyway. You know, oh. like if it turns into a murder thing, then like, oh, that's bigger than the police. Like, oh, I guess we got to deal with this. A white woman died at Cabrini Green. But if it's just like she got hit in the you know head with a hook and got knocked out, then it's sort of like, well, mm, maybe you shouldn't have been there. You know, like yeah. it's a lot like easier. She was to... asking for it. Well, I mean, I don't believe I, I know that, it's a problematic but... <laughs> term, but it's like, you know, th- th- that is sort of the uh, one of the elements is like, because she summons Candyman, she's like literally asking yeah. for it. And she is stepping into trouble multiple times in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is like she doesn't believe that that trouble exists. So maybe this movie is just about like 
white obliviousness. Oh but like, yeah, yeah. But like, she feels like I shouldn't be afraid to be going into these places, and maybe in a in like a better world she shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But like in this case, but I know I, I think the obliviousness is is sort of important because it's like she goes to Cabrini Green and like she gets hassled, but like ah, oh, they just think we're cops. We're gonna you know do this thing, and then like she goes into that bathroom, even though that little kid like tells her explicitly not to. Oh my god! And that it's little the kid. scariest bathroom ever. <laughs> That, okay, yeah, and also, just real quick, that story about the kid getting his dick cut off. Oh! They found it floating in a toilet. Can't fix that. Better off dead. There was stories that I remember as a little kid growing up saying, like, don't go into the bathroom alone, because I once heard about a kid who went in, and then when... Uh, he wouldn't. He didn't come out from it. His mom went in and found him in a pool of blood because somebody had cut his dick off. Really? Yeah. No, that's a story that was like a different urban legend. You know, it's funny. When I visited family a long time ago in Iowa, my second cousin came home drunk from the Little Turkey Tavern. Mm-hmm. Little Turkey being the town that my family lived in. Okay. I was probably like 12 or 13 at the time. Me and my cousins were, were all staying over. He comes driving up, Elvis blaring out his car stereo. <laughs> And it's like, this is a multi-bedroom, large farmhouse. And he comes up into the room that we're staying in and just kind of, like, props himself up. Probably because, like, I don't know, he was afraid he'd puke in the middle of the night or something. But he's stinking drunk. And he starts telling us all these horror stories about our family. Oh, my God. And he's telling them, like, just straight face, just no ounce that, like, this is a joke. One of the stories was how a babysitter cooked a baby like a turkey oh my god which they mention in this movie so and when did you first hear this story uh my friend heard it on the radio it's true sick huh? the babysitter just roasted the kid like it was a turkey or something so when i watched it this time i was like this is where he got that fucking story from <laughs> weird i mean i can see why helen is interested in urban legends because it, it's like it is interesting how these sort of stories circulate yeah. and turn into bigger things. I mean, like, now it's all on the internet. So, like, there was that girl who got stabbed, like, 13 times because of fucking, um, what's the, uh, creepypasta, um... Slenderman? Slenderman! Oh. Yeah. Some girl got stabbed because of Slenderman. How? But, like, real girls, they were making a sacrifice to Slenderman. Oh, I know. Isn't that fucked up? And that movie's supposed to suck. <laughs> but, you know, urban legends, they just are. I can see why Helen is fascinated by them. Yeah. But, oh, oh, I wanted to go back real fast to the kid in the bathroom. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't know how they're doing the sequel, but to me watching this or whatever, the Jordan Peele one that's coming up, like my first thought was like, can we just do like another Candyman, but with that kid grown up? Oh, like, that can, would make the most sense. Can we make it be that kid? Can the kid be in the movie I somewhere? Mean, that, that kid would be roughly our age now. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. You should write Jordan Peele. <laughs> Did we talk enough about this score? I really love this score. Yeah, the score was good. I don't know. It just lends this like grandness to everything. There's a couple tracking shots that give it like a Kubrickian feel. Kubrickian. Thank you. Kubrickian feel. Well, there's one scene where Helen is walking with the the, the kid. Yeah, we're talking about the same one. Yeah, and she asks like about this like pile of garbage essentially. Somebody building a bonfire? Yeah, for the party. And they walk in front of this huge pile of just like wooden stuff and then like you see the greater Chicago area in the background like you got the you know 
uh, it's the Willis Tower now, but it used to be the John the Han- Hancock. Yeah, the yeah. Hancock Building. And yeah, you just you see like the greater metropolitan area of Chicago, but then like between the characters and Chicago is just this pile of stuff to be burned in this little poverty stricken area, and like it looks so good. Yeah, like, that's a great looking scene. Yeah, all the fire stuff is pretty good too at the end. It is pretty good, but I also like kind of wonder. I was like, what is this scene? <laughs> I mean, the movie, like, the whole, like, relationship between Helen and Candyman kind of gets, like, there's, like, double crossing. I don't really love the ending of this movie, to be honest. It gets a little, like, kooky. But I don't know. I, like, that's all real fire that they're dealing with there. That's not CG. Right. And, like, Helen is on fire. Yeah. She's on fire. Like, her hair is on fire. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. By the by the time the, the movie's over, I'm just like, what was this? I kind of get a little frustrated. I'm like, I don't know what this movie was about. I don't feel like the racial stuff plays through to the end. I don't think the poverty stuff like uh, plays through to the end. I don't think the Clive Barker submissive kinky bottom stuff plays out to the end. Like, there's a lot of threads that are brought up here as if they're important. And by the time we're like really at the end, like nothing coherently comes together i feel okay i i'll give you that a little bit but i still like all the ideas that are brought up i mean it's the proto get out and it's like 25 years before that so like this idea of like people living in very difficult situations Mm -hmm. and faced with horrors of like not being supported by the system not being believed um like Worrying about what your kids are going to grow up in. Like, you know, those kind of things are real horror for people. You 100%, know? Like, yeah. Daily. Yeah. They just have to live with. When I say that, I feel like I'm like, oh, God, I'm so, like, privileged white person. You are a privileged white person. <laughs> but Red like, hair be damned. But it just seems like such a good idea to make that into, like, a, a scary boogeyman running around this area because, like, that is what horror is, you know? Yeah, I think I would have taken out some of the, the Clive Barker, like, exquisite pain stuff. Sure. And focused more on the themes that were already sort of prevalent, like institutionalized poverty and racism, like generational poverty. Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot of good stuff in, I feel like, the first act or two about that. And and it kind of gets dismissed, and then like the the bonfire really doesn't have anything to do with any of that stuff. But I did like how Helen is essentially like a cenobite at the end. What's the matter, Trevor? Scared of something? She becomes part of the legend. Yeah, which is all well and good, but I just I think it could have benefited from focusing the themes a little bit more, like Mm -hmm. hammering down on like just like two or three themes instead (laughs) of like five or six. Yeah, 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 I hear you. And that's why I think I like the first half the best, especially the folklore as religion aspect. I really Mm. like that, and I think that could have been explored more thoroughly. See, like, I don't know. I think there is a little bit of that in the second half because then after she's been accused of killing... Well, accused of attacking Anne-Marie and then accused of killing Bernadette. Mm-hmm. She sort of is like alone. Like nobody believes her. Nobody believes her story. And like there's like shots of her 
at the UI campus where it's just her. There's nobody else around her. Like she's, it gives this impression that she's alone now. She's, she's on her own. And it's like, that's kind of when she enters into this legendary status kind of thing. Okay. I think that there's a little more there than you're giving it credit for. Okay. But I agree with you. It's not perfectly tied up. It doesn't quite stick the landing, but I don't know. I still really like this movie. Yeah, no, it, it it's still really good, and it does feel more mature than really any of like the classic slasher movies. Like even, you know, I appreciate Halloween on like a technical level. I don't think it's the scariest movie ever, but you can take any of those like three major franchises: Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, and this one feels more grown up. Yeah. Like, this one feels like it was made for adults who like horror movies. Yeah. journey Mm -hmm. i hope we haven't said it more than five times we have but you have to say it into a mirror right and just in a row well i feel like the in a row is is not a hard and fast rule i think if you like say Candyman in a mirror and like go and do something else (laughs) and come back and say it again like that still counts as two it's like beetlejuice lydia has like a full sentence between beetlejuices (laughs) Yeah. Before like she she gets around to it again and it still summons him. Maybe it's like you say it once and then there's a timer that starts ticking and you got to say it, you know, a few more times before that timer runs well, out. Well, you know, Bloody Mary and I are going out <laughs> for drinks this week. I'll ask her what the rules are. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. That bitch gets soused. <laughs> I, I can't hang with her anymore. Oh yeah, no. It's going to be tell her lit. Say, tell her I say hi, but oof. Oh, thanks. Okay, so. Cool. What's coming up next week, Matt? It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. I've been watching Haunting of Hill House. Doctor Sleep is coming up in like a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think when this airs, probably less than a month. Are we doing another King? We're not doing another King, are we? We're not doing King, okay. but we are doing Mike Flanagan. Okay. I want to watch Oculus. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that one. I did watch the Home Invasion one that you recommended. Hush. Hush. But I did not watch Oculus. The subtext is text in Oculus. Okay. (laughs) There's like family drama. It's very obvious, but I think it is a very, very good movie. Cool. Okay. I like a lot of what I've seen from this man. So I think Oculus is probably his strongest movie to date. Okay. 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 I'm excited. All right. So let's plug our junk. Get the fuck out of here. We have a Twitter account, which is a lovely place to hear all our brain droppings, and that's at X-Rated Movies. Follow us on Facebook, at Rated X Movies. You can send us an email, and that's just x.rated.movies at gmail.com. You can go to our website, xratedmovies.com. And, you know, if you want to give us a little pat on the bum, metaphorically speaking... Uh, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us love there. We always love hearing what you think about what we think. I know that some people are listening who haven't reviewed yet. I don't want to say names, but I do want to say names. I'm not going to say names. Well, if you said their name, maybe they'd be like, oh, 
Well, I just met him, uh, and I might have him on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, just about rounds it up. It wraps it up. All right. Well, next week we're doing Oculus. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. So until next week, keep reaching, keep reaching for, for that, that rainbow. rainbow.